welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. On this episode of the podcast, we have a conversation with two guests who are extremely well-known in the tennis industry, Jeff Barrett and Tim Donovan. The resumes of both of these guys are pretty impressive. So as a player, Tim played professional tennis for four years in the ATP Tour and achieved a top 300 ranking in singles. Prior to that, he was a standout player at Brown University for his entire four years there, reaching a high of number six in the NCAA Division I rankings. As for Jeff, Jeff is a coaching legend in the tennis industry and has numerous accolades and awards, including USPTA Coach of the Year, um, and he's also been enshrined in the USTA New England Tennis Hall of Fame. Now, Jeff and Tim actually met on the tour in the 90s when Tim was a player and, and Jeff was a coach. Um, and then after that, the two of them founded the New England Academy of, T- of Tennis, which as an institution has developed, thousands of players have gone on to play at, at various elite levels of the game. Now, as Jeff continued his coaching career with the Academy and other endeavors, Tim went on to found Donovan Tennis Strategies, which many of our listeners may be familiar with. It's a college placement service for tennis players. And now Jeff and Tim have come back together again to form Cross Court Consulting, which is a business that assists families through the complexities of junior tennis development. In this conversation, we talked about the experiences that each of them has had at various levels of the game, which I thought was interesting, junior tennis, college tennis, ATP level. And then some of the difficulties that junior players are facing in today's world, especially with respect to, to college tennis recruiting. Um, so, Josh, you know, I thought that this was a really there were a lot of good nuggets in this conversation. You know, are any that you want to highlight before we, we get into it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one one takeaway that I had was uh, the importance of the mental side of the game and the importance of building a solid sports psychology foundation of, you know, of a set of skills that, you know, can both be relied on on the court as well as off the court, um, but not not waiting until players are older on and later on in their development, but really uh, starting that process um, as players are learning the game. Um, I know Jeff, uh, Jeff talked a lot about that uh, within junior players and Tim spoke a lot about that, um, you know, within uh, juniors going about the college recruitment process. Um, Also specifically talking about these times that we're living in with COVID and the ability to be adaptable and, you know, adjust and, be ready for whatever comes at you, which is an important skill, um, both in college as well as the rest of their lives. So I think um, really that importance of the mental side of, of the sport and learning that from a young age so that that, that doesn't have to be developed uh, later on as a, as a tennis player. Yeah, that's a good point, Josh. So with that, let's uh, listen into our conversation with Jeff Barrett and Tim Donovan. Jeff and Tim, just want to welcome you to the Tennis IQ podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having sure. us. Um, I've known you guys for a long time, but I think it would be really worthwhile for our audience to hear, you know, a bit of background. And, and Tim, I'd like to I'd like to start with you because, you know, in doing some research for this podcast, um, going back and looking at your record in college and, and so forth, what I see is a real demonstrable record of, of winning and, and knowing how to win. And, you know, everybody on this call knows that that's not easy to do at the Division One level, to do at the pro level, even to do at the junior level, to win that much. So I want to understand a little bit more about, you know, your background, how you got into tennis, you know, were there other sports involved that maybe helped you with that? And, and perhaps, you know, what were the were there some formative experiences on the mental side of the game that helped you, you know, to realize that success? Well, again, thanks for, for having us. Um, I, I think a lot of it goes to my background growing up. Um, I, I felt like I had to be ment- mentally tough um, as the youngest of 11 children, um, where, you know, it was very different back in that era. Um, there was not a lot of, okay, well, my parents are focusing only on me and they're taking me to this lesson. They're taking me to that lesson. Um, we had some tennis courts, uh, some cement tennis courts built in our neighborhood. And I started off just walking up to the park and playing tennis. Uh, so I, I felt like that helped me, um, you know, again, it, it wasn't, nothing was really given to me and I sort of had to, 
you know, fight and claw in, in tennis, just as I had to, had to do as the, the youngest of 11 kids. So I think the, the very early formative years sort of set me up with the right mindset that, you know, I, I had to work, um, I had to work at it. And I was, you know, I, I was always on the small side too. So eventually at five, eight, but, you know, in the younger years, always one of the younger ones and, you know, for my age and also feeling like that was more of a reason that I had to be tougher and, and work harder than, than others. So I, I think those, that sort of background ended up helping me. Yeah. And did you play other sports, Tim, growing up? Did any of that Yeah, help? I, I, I did. I, I played uh, basketball in grade school uh, up through the eighth grade. So competitive um, basketball. And then in, in high school, I, I focused solely on, on tennis. Um, but, you know, we just didn't have the, uh, the ability, you know, during the winter for me to go and, and play five or six days a week. So I still played, you know, perhaps three days a week, but that's where, you know, the basketball helped to, you know, to, to keep me fit and, and helped with athleticism and, and conditioning and all that. So, um, so yes, that, that was important to me. For sure. Good. And then Jeff, you know, give us a little bit of background on you, you know, because you, you've got a long history in the sport and uh, uh, a coach who's got a ton of accolades. I don't even, can't even list them all. They're so <laughs> such a long list. But, um, you know, I guess let's maybe more talk about your coaching career. How did that begin? You know, what was sort of the entryway for you to get into coaching and how have you developed, I mean, still this enthusiasm for teaching yeah. the game? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Well, and thanks for having me. My, my story is, there's some parallels with Tim as well. I grew up as a multi-sport athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time I got to high school, I was groomed to be, my dad was a high school football coach and the basketball coach and so on. So very early on, I was groomed to be, uh, you know, a player of, of multi-sports, but I didn't grow. Everybody started growing but me. And what I was really great at as a youth, I wasn't really great at anymore when I got to high school, or at least everybody was much bigger to me. And it wasn't that fun. Yeah. So I took up, I, I only grew up playing tennis, you know, in, uh, in the summers when I was a young kid, but as everybody was growing and I wasn't, I gravitated more to that sport. And like Tim, you know, I mean, I hit off the wall, I hit off anything, hit with anybody and, and grew to love the game. Both my parents were educators. So I think this teaching, uh, process if you will has always been ingrained in me or part of, of who I am but uh you know I, I I loved coaching more than I loved playing mm. uh in and I became such a student of the game on many levels and in many ways and in, in my background reflects all those pathways if you will um but I continue to learn I as a coach I think you know when I thought I knew the most, I realized I probably didn't know much at all. And now that I know a lot, I feel like I don't know a whole lot. I feel like I got to keep going and keep learning with the sport that's changing all the time. So uh, it's been a passion of mine. It's even trying to get away from it with, with some of the things I do now, I'm still back on the court coaching. Um, and, and I just love that whole process. I love the process of learning. I learned for myself. I learned from my students. Um, and as you know, the generations go by me, um, how they learn, uh, has fascinated me and changed my coaching in ways. And, um, that's, what's kept it fresh and, and kept me pursuing things, um, till this day. Yeah. 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 So, um, how would you describe Jeff, you know, your coaching philosophy, maybe, or is there a mission behind what you're doing? You feel like, you know, again, I keep coming back, no matter how much the game changes, there's still common denominators in this whole process. Yeah. One, it's got to be fun. It's got to be inspiring. You, you can't get around the basics and the fundamentals. You, you still have to make that part of that process. And, and I think my coaching philosophy is very simple in that what I teach an 11 or 12-year-old is the same thing essentially I teach an 18-year-old, just it's more advanced as I teach the 18-year-old. Yeah. Whether it be about movement or when, whether it be the mental game, uh, whether it be they're more physical now, they can do these things. But it's not a super complicated game if you understand how it functions. And um, 
if you can provide more common denominators in the growth experience for these players, I think it is the easier it is for them to learn. And so uh, I, I know I can speak for Tim on this one. When we started our academy many years ago, you know, we were teaching movement and footwork and athleticism as the core of, of kind of where we started the game from with the kids. It wasn't, you know, this is how you hit a forehand or how you hit a backhand. The reality is you're running all over the court. You got to yeah. be able to accelerate, decelerate, have bounce, all these things. So that's kind of always been, although it's evolved, it's, it's only evolved in that the, maybe some of the changes in the game, how we play the game has evolved, but teaching kids or teaching people is relatively the same way for me. And that's been a constant and it's been successful for as long as I've been doing it. So yeah. that, that, that definitely makes sense. And it was great, great hearing a little bit about each of each of your backgrounds. One question that I had is just based on that similarity of, uh, you know, growing up as one of the, the shorter players, one of the smaller guys, how did that affect your mindset? Did that, did that uh, make it so that you didn't take anything for granted or had sort of an, under, um, an underdog mindset going into matches? Yeah, I, I think there's some of that underdog mindset. Um, if, for me, it, it was so important to be prepared. So uh, I wasn't going to win every match and, and, you know, I might get overpowered on occasion or simply just lose to a better player. Uh, but what, even at an early age, what I was pretty good about uh, is, is not losing a match because I, I wasn't prepared. So I, you know, not losing because I got tired late in the third set or, you know, my serve broke down because I didn't practice it enough. So, you know, it, it, it was always that feeling that, you know, Hey, I may not win today, but you know, I, I, I wasn't going to lose for, you know, kind of lack of, of preparation. So, so, and I felt like I, I was really forced to do that because I wasn't going to go and, and just, you know, blow people off the court with power or just have, you know, otherworldly talent that I just went right through players, you know, it was sort of all based on, you know, a, a lot of hard work and preparation. And I, I think that's what eventually, you know, helped me to be a good competitor. You know, and I, I kind of saw that even early in the juniors where, you know, I think eventually I, I realized that, you know, mental toughness was a strength of mine. But in the early years, I, I didn't know. I was just playing. Uh, but at times I would see my opponents sort of self-destructing or, you know, in the middle of the third set, just hitting the wall and getting tired when I was feeling really good. Um, and that sort of reinforced everything for me that, wow, this is this is really great to be able to, um, you know, be kind of the last guy standing here. And, and that kind of motivated me, to, motivated me to, you know, work harder for the next tournament because this was all, you know, this formula was sort of working for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can echo that as well. I think for me, I, I was a fairly good athlete, but I wasn't fast. I wasn't big. So I had a lot of self-awareness of what I could or couldn't do. And my game was, was shaped around that. And like Tim said, you know, I wasn't going to lose because I wasn't prepared. And, and, you know, I knew my strengths and I knew my weaknesses. And um, I looked for matchups that I could be successful with. I knew that I wasn't going to win everything, but I felt like I was smarter. I had a lot of self-awareness as to how to be successful uh, on the tennis court. And I think that translated into my coaching uh, as well. Yeah, so in essence, you really weren't just relying on physical gifts. You had to have... Oh, yeah. some mental awareness and, and, and uh, understand, like you said earlier, Jeff, you know, sort of the understanding of the game fundamentally, which yes. I think a lot of players don't have necessarily, you know, even just about, you know, what's, what are you really trying to win when you're on the tennis court? Very often players are so focused on points and treating them as the end all be all when I think in reality, points are more or less a means to an ends. You know, and they help you get games, which help you get sets, which eventually help you win. And, and I think that's one of the understandings that as we create self-awareness, maybe builds more and you're relying less on that physical aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I have mentioned to, you know, people about this podcast is one of the themes that Josh and I are really touching on is this idea of tennis being 90% mental. And I think even as you look at different levels of the game, whether that be, you know, the junior level, the high school level, the college and, and the pro level, it 
tends to work out that way. There may be different challenges along the way at those levels, or maybe not. And, uh, you know, since you guys have coached and played at all of those levels, are, do you see differences in mental challenges as, as people progress from, say, starting in the juniors through the pros? Maybe, Tim, start with you. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I think as you go up levels into college tennis and then professional tennis, you know, everybody's so good um, that, you know, really the, the mental side of it often, you know, defines, um, you know, who the best players are. So, you know, I think early on in the juniors or sometimes, a, you know, can, can be a, a drastic difference in the level of this player and that player. And so that match, you know how it's going to go. But, um, you know, often as you get to that highest level, um, you know, it has to do a lot with, um, you know, the mental side of it, um, you know, and there's moments, even the best players, I think, struggle with, with their confidence. It's, it's not, you know, yeah. it's not easy to, as you said earlier, win all the time. And, and sometimes you, you, you have to, you know, work through periods of, well, Hey, I'm not really playing my best and I'm not necessarily sure why, but, but a, a, as you progress into college tennis and professional tennis, I think you have these experiences to fall back on of, well, Hey, I remember, you know, I had that stretch of five weeks back in college where I was just playing lousy. Um, but I remember it just took, you know, some, some hard work and just hanging in there and not panicking and, and it comes back. So I, I just think the longer you're playing and as you go to these next levels, you just have so many other experiences to draw on that you've gone through before uh, that can, can really help. Yeah, it sounds like that's actually part of what can fuel your confidence and self-belief as you go along building that sort of bank account of experience. Yeah, you've been, you know, you've seen a lot as you as you get older and you've played more and more matches and you can always sort of, um, you know, rely on some of that experience. Yeah. Jeff, what are some things that you see as, you know, players develop and get to that highest level? What are they dealing with different things? Uh, well, I think, you know, from the juniors to the college um, you know, you go kind of still from an individual sport to a team sport. I think um, there's some benefits of learning uh, in that environment that are different than in the yeah. juniors. However, there's a huge jump from, in my opinion, from college tennis to professional tennis, where you have a, a support system, you have that constant coaching through matches, et cetera, et cetera. And when you're out there on the tour, you know, you're back in that individual environment and you're with, you know, you're in a playing an entirely different game. Some people around you have the support systems. You may, you may not. And so I think that, you know, that helps build that character and that awareness of, you know, what's it going to take for me to succeed here? I think we do a lot of hold hand-holding early on in our players' uh, careers, especially in the juniors, and they aren't exposed to a lot of us. I think a lot of times as coaches, we, we make mistakes in how we um, set them up for success with certain tools. But I think this mental game is something we, for the most part, don't teach a lot of. Uh, it's taught as an adjunct or, or a sidebar issue and not part of developing as, as an athlete. So I see this as something that develops much later. Uh, in players that I've worked with. And I think, you know, the college process is a great experience uh, where you can have that constant coaching and non-core coaching and coaching on changeovers, et cetera, et cetera. And then that big jump off to the pro game is, is a whole nother, whole nother experience uh, of, of this awareness of what tools do I have or how or why am I not succeeding yeah. out there mentally, emotionally. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, one question just to, um, to get a little bit deeper into that. What do you think is, and I guess this is really for both of you, what do you think is the best way to introduce uh, tennis players to the mental game a little bit earlier so that, you know, they don't start developing uh, their physical skill sets and go through, you know, as many of these rough, rough patches without having that, that mental component? You know, and, and Tim can speak to this too. I think one of the things we've always tried to do and advocated to players is find common denominators very early on in things that they already do that are ritual-based or routine-based. You know, I always ask them, you know, how do you go about your homework? You know, do you, 
you know, what's the process of doing that? What are the common denominators between, you know, learning an instrument and playing tennis or your school homework and playing tennis and try and find these things that they do that are common denominators of, of what helps them be successful and then continue to layer on and, and build on that. I think we, we coach uh, poorly at times uh, of how we structure drills, drills or time on court. I think uh, as an industry, we could do a much better job at incorporating um, uh, ways that the mental part is part of what's driving this whole thing. Uh, you know, I'll just give you an example of something that I love to do all the time. I put three dots at the back of the court, one red, one yellow, one green. And after each point, they go stand on a color that reflects how they're feeling about how that point was just played. If it's green, they're okay, you know, they're, they're, they're moving forward, they're aware if it's red, they're in some sort of a crisis mode, they're frustrated or what have you. And I don't coach them verbally at that point. I let them try and work their way through that or on a changeover, we'll sit down and talk. But I think there's so many creative ways that we can bring coaching the mental game into this without having to make it this laborious conversation with them and bore them with things that they don't necessarily connect with. But if I see certain things out there, like the, you know, the red, yellow, green process, I'm going to change over, just ask them a couple of questions. You know, you played three points green and then you went to red. What, what, what's that all about? What are you thinking or what are you feeling out there? And let them articulate those things. So early on, I, I always try and make it something that the kids have to um, relate to in some form. And I try and find the common denominators and things that they enjoy first and bring it into tennis second. Yeah, and I, and I would add, you know, Jeff, you mentioned before about, you know, coaching and some of this, some of this I would attribute to the, the parenting side of it as well. You know, early on, uh, there's such an emphasis these days on, you know, ranking and rating and how immediate everything is. And you play a match and a couple of days later you see, oh, well, my UTR did this. Um, and, and one of the things that bothers me, and I hear this all the time in helping players through the college recruiting process is, um, okay, yeah, I, I need my UTR to go up to be recruited at some of these schools. And, you know, I'm looking to play this tournament, but I, you know, I don't want to play that tournament because there's some players that are below me on UTR. Um, so, you know, I, I just think that's a, such a destructive way of, of looking at competition uh, where this idea that, you know, you, you want to shield players from any match where um, they could have a result that hurts their ranking or, or rating. Uh, and I have nothing to lose or sorry, nothing to gain by playing this player who's a half a point lower on UTR. So, so this thinking continues on and on where it's like, well, the only meaningful matches are the players that are above me. Uh, so I can play relaxed and, you know, maybe I'm not supposed to win. Um, that really, you know, bothers me. And I think that sets players up to, you know, kind of be weak mentally that, okay, well, yeah, maybe, maybe I can play well against the player I'm not supposed to be, but put me out there against the player I am supposed to be. And I just don't have the tools to, to handle that. Uh, because I've never really had to, you know, there's all this well, scheming to play this event or that event, you know, just go out and play. And, and, you know, you sometimes can develop more as a player by, you know, beating that player you're supposed to beat, where you're more nervous, where you do feel like you have something to lose. So, so I think, you know, introducing players at a younger age to that idea of, you know, just go out and, and, and play uh, and try to get better um, and, and not be thinking so much about, well, what is this result going to do to my, my ranking and my rating? Yeah. And, and I would agree with that. Um, you know, that, and that's something that's, I never experienced that as a player growing up. I mean, we would, I would play with anybody in, you know, no matter what the situation was, I think with, with UTR in, in ratings, I think that's put a different, twist on on competition but and whether this is right or wrong i always encourage my players to think a third below their level a third at their level and a third above their level when they're training because there's different muscles 
mental muscles you train when you play a match that you're supposed to win versus somebody that's a peer versus somebody that's better than you. And there's so much to learn in all three of those environments. And as a coach, I think you need to be aware, okay, you're going to play somebody that's a little lower than you or may not be as polished as you, but these are the things you're going to work on. And, you know, same thing, you know, you're going to face a whole different skill set when you're playing somebody above you. You know, you, you don't want to just go out there and, and hope you play a good match or get lucky and win some points. I mean, how are you going to play that player? What, what could you do to win more points or what have you? Um, so that's a good point, Tim. Yeah. Well, well taken. Yeah. And Jeff and I, I mean, we're, we're old guys here, but back when we played, you know, the, the rankings really came out once a year. And, right, yeah. you know, imagine that that must be unthinkable to this this generation now where you didn't have to worry. You can say, OK, I've got all these tournaments this year. I need to improve this. I need to move better. I need to have a better serve. I need to play the net better or whatever it is. And you didn't always have to be worrying about, oh, as I'm working on this, what if I have a result, you know, uh, next week that's not so great? So you had basically a full year to kind of work through, you know, your process of getting better. Um, and so, you know, I think the, these days it's, it's a little bit more about, you know, the short term and, you know, what's going to affect my ranking and rating and not, you know, the process of getting better as a, as a player. And Jeff, to your point about the third, a third, a third, I mean, let's say you even make it to be a pro. I mean, doesn't that still hold? Are you going to refuse to play somebody who's ranked below you when you play a tournament? Um, that's just not possible, right? That's so. That's just the reality of the situation. Exactly. Josh and I recently spoke to Brian Barker, who I know you guys both know, um, and he talked about you know one of the keys to his own success, but part of his coaching is trying to reduce the amount of pressure that players feel, which I think speaks to the whole ranking and UTR thing and college recruiting process. Um, and as part of that, it got me thinking about, okay, you know, so what do we do as coaches and sports psych professionals and even as parents, you know, how can we create that environment for the player so they do feel less pressure and, and, and are able to, to perform the way they want to? You guys are obviously dealing with a lot of junior players who are on the pathway to college tennis or, or perhaps beyond. How do you help those families really, and if you can, how do you maybe phrase it, to get them to realize that taking pressure off is actually the right thing to do? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, for me in, in helping uh, families through the recruiting process, um, you know, a lot of, there's, there's just so much pressure that they feel that every match is, you know, is an indicator, uh, of, you know, whether they're going to be able to, you know, be recruited by this school or that school. Um, and so, you know, first of all, I think it's just acknowledging that this, this really exists for, for everybody. So, yeah. you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not alone if you're feeling this pressure. But what we try to do is to say, you know, hey, look at your level of play um, and take some comfort in the fact that even if you don't have this amazing stretch of tennis here that's going to catapult you to your dream school, um, you have this group of schools that are really good schools where you'd have a really great experience. So try to take some comfort in that, in that. You know, even if you don't have this amazing stretch of tennis, you're going to be okay. A everything is going to be okay. You're going to end up at a great school. You're going to play college tennis. Um, and so just, you know, th that's what, you know, I try to do in helping some of these players and their families just take a little pressure, you know, off uh, in a process uh, that is just, you know, often loaded with pressure. Sure. Yeah, and I think, think for me, you know, it starts a little earlier in the process in the space that I deal with. The first thing is to get a good understanding of how they're defining success. Uh, so much is outcome driven uh, that there's an inherent pressure already with thinking the wins and losses or how I'm defining whether I'm a good or a bad tennis player. For example, you know, I look for trends in a player's game and when you practice, 
you isolate those trends. Maybe it's break points. Maybe instead of playing sets or just hitting cross courts or whatever, that we play points that are reflective of that situation. I'm serving at 30, 40. Uh, or when I get under these pressure situations, I only have one serve. To put them in there so they get more familiar, you see how they respond. They get more familiar with themselves, the self-awareness again of, of what's causing this stress or what's causing this anxiety that's in preventing them from performing how they want to perform. And I try and keep it that simple and keep it on the positive side as opposed to the negative side of, you know, why I'm not succeeding at this, but this is how I can succeed. Hey, you know what? You continue to go to this target where your best target is to go here with your serve or your first ball or what have you and, and provide them that sense of awareness and confidence. So when they do get in that situation, that, that's what they're remembering. That's what they fall back on. Yeah. So to, yeah. to that point, Jeff, you know, I mean, where you're trying to make these pressure moments feel more normal and, and they become more normal the more that you navigate through them. Yeah. You know, I think at least, at least three out of four of us are a little bit on the older side. And I think back when we were training, we probably played more matches than clinics. Is that true mm -hmm. for the both of you? I know that was true for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was true for me, too, for sure. You know, and so is that a potential barrier to some of the players now where they're they're not getting as much exposure to how to handle those match situations because they're more in structured activities? Uh, I, I see your point on it. Um, however, I think the game is very different. I think, you know, the level of play is much greater. You know, we we always identified play as kind of styles of play. And now we're in this space where we're talking about rally lengths. And we're talking about, you know, what are, how do we maximize, you know, what your strengths are, your speed or what have you. So, you know, I think coaching ha has had to come into it more because, I mean, it is literally part of what this game has evolved to at this point. I think when, you know, when it first turned professional and we all got involved and, and played for the joy of it because it was new and fun and, you know, versus what it is now, it's a big business now uh, on a lot of levels. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, we, uh, we as coaches, I, 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 I still think it's needed, Brian. I, I don't think just playing matches gives them. Oh, sure. I get that. Yeah. You know. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I also, you know, I had a similar experience growing up where you, you just, you know, occasionally you would do a, a clinic, but more often you would just call somebody to, to play with. And these often would be, you know, the, the, the players you might be meeting in the finals of, of tournaments. And I think in doing so, um, you know, you, you, you take some ownership of your, of your game and, you know, what do I need to work on? And, you know, I think it is quite structured these days. And, and I think, you know, there's some of that that is certainly necessary. But I also think for a player to go out or two players to go out and spend a couple hours and, and run their own workout, you know, I wonder if some of them are even able to do that because it's just they're just used to going out in the court and being told what drill they're going to do and what they're going to work on. So, so you know, I think that, that there's an argument to be made on, on both sides of that. Uh, but certainly that the, there's not as much of that just unstructured going out and playing, you know, as there, as there used to be. Yeah. And you bring up a good point, Tim. I got a, a text the other morning from one of the clients who was going out to work out and asked what and how she should practice because the conversation I had with her the day before was you need to learn how to practice. You're going out and, you know, just hitting hundreds of cross court balls and that's not how the points are played and that's not what you you should be doing and she had no idea how to take how you could even just take a cross-court rally and all the variations of what you could do with that relative to her game and her style of play um so you're right you know i think again i know when tim and i had the academy we always would have a, a phase where the kids would have to partner up and give them a half court okay you design your practice now you got 30 minutes and uh they'd had to communicate with each other of what they need to work on and how they were going to do it and how it needed to be cooperative. We need more of that, but um, yeah. yeah, we don't do enough of it for sure. Yeah. I think especially right now, I mean, over these past few months when, uh, you know, clubs were closed and uh, tournament, you know, tournaments were canceled and people 
uh, juniors really had to oftentimes design their own program, whether that be fitness or whether that be um, training. So many, you know, possibly some players for the first time actually, you know, had that experience of calling up their friend and, you know, hitting or maybe playing some sets. I mean, I think, you know, from, from the college perspective, working, you know, coaching there for the past couple of years, um, I, I really saw firsthand how important building in that that match play piece into practices because if if the last time you competed um, was was in an actual match rather than you know playing a couple sets throughout the week and then you've got another match the next day you know that that last match is still fresh in your mind mm -hmm. you know whatever happened so I think I really do think that that match play piece is is so important. Sure. So let's uh, transition to what you guys are doing today, you know, between, um, you know, uh, I guess maybe we can start with, uh, you know, cross-court consulting. Tell us a little bit about how you're, especially in this era of COVID-19, helping players, you know, navigate their junior pathway to college. And then maybe, you know, even Tim talk about the, the college recruiting process, because that is obviously really uh, more stressful probably than ever for players today. Right. Jeff, why don't you start with the cross-court consulting piece, and I'll take the, sure. the college recruiting afterwards. Sure. So there, there's two pieces to uh, our company. In the cross-court consulting piece, we work with families very early on who are entering the sport, and this could be as young as orange ball players. Um, and we first get them, let's just start with that space, an understanding of what should happen and why, what the parents' role is. Um, and what's the purpose of, of, of this? And a lot of times these kids at that age don't have coaches, so the parents become the coach very early on, introduce them to the sport. So we do a lot of work with educating the parents on how to set the kid up to have a good experience and what their role should be. As we navigate through the orange and the green ball space, when we get in the yellow ball space, we do everything from developmental planning uh, which is kind of establishing, you know, goals and priorities and benchmarks for them uh, relative to their age, their growth and development phase, and so on. We do tournament schedule planning. The whole idea is to maximize their opportunities and to get them to understand that this is not a race. That what we're trying to do is get these core fundamentals and these processes in place so that they develop correctly and they have a great experience doing so. Part of our goal then is as we navigate all this with them, and we have clients throughout the country, uh, as we navigate this process with them, we try and set them up when the college phase comes up to be in the best possible position. And we then, Tim takes over the, uh, the client, if you will, and helps them navigate um, that, that phase of their career. So Tim, if you want to talk a little bit about Donovan. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think we're, we're talking about mental toughness today and, and, you know, handling adversity is obviously a big part of that. Um, and, you know, you, you probably, none of us probably could have imagined the level of adversity that, you know, we'd be facing this year. So th there's a, a large component of that in the college recruiting process. So, you know, come March uh, for the players who are in their junior year, uh, that's a big time for them to be out visiting campuses, meeting coaches, leading into the summer where coaches are going out watching players compete and getting to know them better. Um, oftentimes, whether it's the spring or into the fall, the senior year, where players are going onto campuses and uh, spending a couple of days doing an official visit and going to classes and spending time eating meals with the team. And uh, so none of that is, is happening this year. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it, it's forced us and our, and our clients to be, um, you know, flexible and innovative that there are ways of doing this. Um, and if you sit around and just sort of feeling, you know, badly and sorry for yourself that this is all happening to you at this time, um, you know, you're, you're not going to have a good outcome with this. So, so, you know, we, we've been encouraging players to be creative, um, that they've done, you know, during quarantine, they've done some conditioning videos in their basement. They're doing, you know, they're videotaping and sending a coach, you know, ladder drills and they're hitting off the basement wall or they're going out in, you know, some of the kids in urban areas out in the back alley, you know, hitting balls off the wall, um, sending things to coaches, you know, just sort of 
letting them know that, hey, listen, um, you know, th this is not ideal, but I'm going to make the most of this. And in doing so, you're sort of showing them the kind of kid that you are, uh -huh. uh, a, 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 the kid that comes into college who will make the most of any situation, who will be able to deal with, you know, the difficulties that are part of college teams and the difficulty of, you know, not being in the starting lineup when you think you should be there. So we really try to encourage these kids to, you know, in, in some ways, um, if possible, look at the bright side here and, and look at this as an opportunity um, to show a college coach, hey, what can I do? Am, am I just sitting on the couch, um, you know, not doing anything and just feeling sorry for myself? Or uh, am I working harder than ever on my conditioning? Uh, so, you know, th there's part of that developing this, this right mindset of handling adversity that we've tried to help these, uh, these recruits go through. But as far as just the process, yeah, I mean, it's for the 2021 class, um, it, it's more complicated than ever. Um, kids on currently on college teams are allowed to have another year of eligibility. Some of them may take it. Some of them may not. Uh, that affects the number of spots that are available. That affects the number of scholarships that are available. Uh, so, you know, it, it really has been a, a trying year uh, in the college recruiting front. Um, but to those kids or for those kids that, you know, can, can take the right approach to it, you know, we've seen a real payoff and coaches really uh, feeling like, wow, you know, th this kid is handling this situation really great. And this is the kind of kid I want in my program. I think, you know, from a sports psychology perspective, Tim, you're touching on a couple of things that I think Josh and I know are really important, which are autonomy and ownership. And you're really helping these players, you know, take more control over what they're doing. And at the same time, building their character and concentrating on being the best person, not only just the best player, but the best person that they can be. Yeah. And, you know, we, at Donovan Tennis Strategies, I mean, we help players navigate the recruiting process, but there's also an element of helping them to take ownership of it and, you know, making in some way, you know, helping them to become more mature, as you said, more responsible, more accountable. So what we do is, what we don't do, I should say, is say, sit back, we'll handle this for you, uh, because that's not how the recruiting process is supposed to go. Uh, you need to get to know a coach. The coach needs to get to know you. Uh, and the coach needs to understand that you're independent and, and reliable and responsible. And uh, so, you know, we, we do some of that as well in helping them to understand that, that this is your thing. Um, we're not going to school. Your parents aren't going to school. Um, so let's, let's help you to take some ownership and let's help you develop some of these tools where you can, you know, do this effectively. Yeah. And some of the coaches out there are not handling it well either. You know, they're, they're a little bit unsure of how to even recruit in these envi in this environment. Right. Yeah. And we talk to coaches all the time. And, and you know, again, it, it's really um, it's kind of an imperfect process this year because, you know, I just talked to a coach yesterday at, you know, one of the more popular schools anywhere in the country. And he was just saying, it's just so hard. I mean, I've got six or seven kids and I can take two of them. And they're all pretty, you know, similarly ranked. They're all, you know, capable enough students. Um, I normally would be out watching them play, you know, at the hard courts right now. I probably would have watched some of them play at the national clay courts, um, you know, and I can't do any of that. I'm sitting in my office re-looking at videos and, and it's imperfect. So it's imperfect on both sides of it. Um, but, you know, you, you still are able to do some things, uh, to move it along and, you know, doing virtual tours of campuses, talking to coaches, talking to players on the team, you know, and really trying to make the most of it. And, uh, you know, kind of circling back a little bit, uh, echoing what Tim is saying at, at, at a higher level, at this more elementary level or younger age, it's very granular. For example, when we do developmental plans, there's an intimacy that the player gets to know about their game as opposed to just going to clinics or just taking lessons through this planning process and educating the parents on what their role is at a younger age versus when they get to be 15 or 16. Um, and so part of what we try and establish, Tim and I try and establish very early on with players 
at, at like I said, at this granular level is, is, is this awareness. So is that they aren't, when they get to Tim at this point where everything is a big surprise to them, they have this skill set already. Yeah. Um, it, they know their game. They can, they can sit down with a coach in a recruiting process and talk uh, articulately about their game and what they're working on in their game and what they hope to do with their game and so on. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot to that. And the developmental planning process is huge. And in most players don't do that. Most coaches don't do that only because it's such a big lift uh, to do and requires a lot of time. Um, but it's huge. And it, it ends up being a great foundation for when they get uh, to this college space. Yeah, I love the developmental plans that you do, Jeff. And I think um, while it is a big investment of time and a big lift, as you said, I think maybe that's just the initial time, right? After that, it's more or less kind of updating it. You've got the framework for it. Everybody knows what their role is, which may evolve over time, but it's really just an initial thing. And, and you're right. I think it'd be great to see that more from other coaches. And I know that your plan has that mental component within it, you know, and I think it's, which is fantastic because then you can begin to integrate that into the, that holistic training of, of the player. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Josh, anything from you? Yeah. Well, one, one thing that, uh, that came up, Tim, as you were mentioning, um, co- you know, players who are going, going about the, the college recruiting process is really the uncertainty of it all. And I think, um, you know, number one, dealing with adversity is that skill that they're really developing right now that they'll be able to draw on later times in college. I mean, you know, there's whether it's something with the lineup or a match that they play or an injury that they experience, there's always that adversity. But also that, um, you know, just being able to embrace that uncertainty of of this moment. Um, Is that, you know, are, are those the types of conversations that you're having with players right now about, you know, controlling what you can control because, you know, some many conferences around the country have canceled fall championships. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of question marks right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're just, as I said, you know, having them try to take the bull by the horns here. And it's easy because over a four month stretch, uh, they didn't have any results to report. There's nothing exciting, so to speak in, in, uh, the recruiting front for them to report to coaches. So, so, you know, sometimes it was a challenge to sort of get players to say, Hey, listen, I, I know you don't have that much to report, but you know, you do need to check in with coaches and, and even just to, you know, see how they're doing. I mean, this hasn't been an easy time for anybody. And, and, you know, you can build a relationship with a coach and, and, you know, for a young recruit who's 16 or 17 years old to, you know, kind of deal maturely with a coach and see how they're doing through this and how their families are doing. Uh, so it's just some of that, you know, just developing maturity through all this that I think is important that that also ends up being, you know, really helpful to them. It could be helpful to them at the end of the day where a coach says, wow, this kid has handled this process better than most everybody else and handled this adversity better than most anybody else. Um, and sure, there's some other good players too, but, you know, this is the one I want. Um, so, you know, I think it's um, for, for those that have been willing to, you know, invest the effort in, in doing this, um, you, you know, it's proving to, to, to pay off. So, guys, as we wrap up here, I want to be respectful of your time. What's the best way for people to connect with you, um, whether that's through your websites or other social media? Maybe, uh, you know, Jeff, can you give us, uh, you know, the best way sure. for people to connect with you? Sure. They can reach us at uh, crosscourtconsulting.com or contact us at 617-842-5901. You can also find us on uh, Tim's uh, website as well. Tim? Yeah, donovantennis.com. So um, we have uh, a prospective client questionnaire. So we do two things at Donovan Tennis. We we have um, consulting, helping players navigate the recruiting process, players and their families. And then we also run three uh, showcases. Uh, So with COVID this summer, our two summer events, we were not able to do them, but we did do a virtual event and, you know, tried to be a little innovative there. But but DonovanTennis.com, all of the information on, you know, the recruitment consulting that we do and the showcases uh, that we run can be found on there. Well, 
Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. I, I feel like we could go on for hours. I didn't even get to like half of the things I really wanted to talk about, but I don't want to um, take two or three hours out of your day to do this. But I want to thank you very much for, for joining Josh and I on the Tennis IQ podcast. Thank you. Well, Brian, that was a, that was a great conversation. It really was. Uh, do you have any, any final takeaways? I think um, one of the parts of the conversation I liked was the idea of uh, – whether practices are too structured or should they be more unstructured and, and practice matches and the idea of players taking more ownership and accountability, um, maybe even in how they design practices. That, I thought that was interesting how uh, Tim and Jeff talked about that and having players even design their own practices. And I think those are you know some things that everybody, we, we should all listen to that piece is just not – go out there and necessarily blindly do what a coach wants us to do, but let's, could we be working on some of our own things out there? Yeah. Can we be uh, going out and getting some practice matches knowing that, you know, I, I, I need to work on how I work through some of these situations. So I thought that was some, some valuable stuff along with a, a lot of the rest of the conversation was, was, was really, really good. So I was really happy to have those guys on the podcast today. Thanks again to our guests, Jeff Barrup and Tim Donovan. For more on today's episode, uh, please check out the show notes. As a reminder, you can follow or subscribe to this podcast on your platform of choice, on your podcast platform of choice. And you can also watch all of these episodes and subscribe on YouTube. If you have any feedback or you want to ask us a question about the mental game or any, any topics that you'd like us to address at some point, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com and use the hashtag Tennis IQ on Twitter. Look out for our next episode each week and thanks again for tuning in.